Well, today is Ash Wednesday. It's a day within the church calendar, within global Christendom, which marks a a 40-day period of fasting and self-denial and other religious practices, including uh, removing some of the fine linen off of the altar in liturgical churches. Uh, Oftentimes, crosses will be covered in in purple cloth to, to create kind of a somber time leading up to the uh, Resurrection Sunday, which becomes, of course, a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, there's a problem with this, and it's a burden for me. Many Christians throughout global Christianity today, many professing Christians, have already gone to a service. They've had their forehead marked with a ash cross, ashen cross, and been told that from dust they came and from dust they shall return. And so the problem with Lent is that it has its roots in a pagan practice of fasting and bodily deprivation grounded in uh, Gnostic or counterfeit Christianity practices to seek a a higher level of spiritual existence by harsh treatment of the body, denial of food, water, and so on. Now, this uh, there's an article out by Nicholas Russo, who's the assistant dean of the College of Arts and Letters at the University of Notre Dame. And in his article, he comments how the fact that Lent, Lent began really uh, after the Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D. It was very likely a practice that was pretty scattered and practiced differently amongst different groups in different ways. It most likely originated with the heterodox, meaning the, the heretics or the counterfeit Christians, the Gnostics, those who denied the deity of Jesus and also practiced bodily and physical harsh treatment of the body to try to enhance their spirituality, to enhance their spiritual ascendancy. Uh, they denied the value of material things. They denied the, the material world, calling it all evil. Uh, any goodness, there was no goodness in the, in the material world. And everything else uh, spiritual was all good. And so this comp, all these practices of fasting for 40 days prior to Easter was common among the heterodox, he says. And, but the Council of Nicaea, the Roman Church, uh, had begun this practice of taking certain pagan practices, and they've done this throughout their history. She has, the Roman Church has taken certain practices, and they come across them uh, in different pagan uh, lands, and then brought them into the church, uh, baptized them, if you will, uh, tried to incorporate them and, and Christianize them. And, and, and then Constantine, the Roman emperor, was very big on conf- confirmation. He wanted to conform everything into uh, regular routine practice throughout the empire. And so began the practice of Lent. Now, this, it's hard to track when this began, uh, some say it began before before the Council of Nicaea. It's, there's no evidence to support that. It's really difficult. We do know this, that for the first 300 years of the church, there was no formal practice of Lent. 
and there's nothing referencing it within the Bible. That's the most important thing for you to understand. It's not an apostolic, it's not a biblical practice. So, it wasn't practiced before the Council of Nicaea in 325. The problem with Lent is that it points us back to ourself. It points us back to the religious impulse of the flesh and serves as a form of self-justification. When you, even the beginning of Lent on Ash Wednesday, you, you, you step into a place where you are demeaned. You are told you are, you are dust and you're going to return to dust and you're to assume some kind of false humility for the next 40 days by denying yourself of things like coffee or, or sweets or entertainment or different forms of, of pleasures that you might find ordinary and certainly acceptable throughout the rest of the year, but you're going to deny those to yourself now as a form of spiritual discipline. You can see where this goes. There's a problem with Lent. With Lent. Not Lent, but Lent. There's a problem with Lent as a practice. It's not a joke. It's not even worth uh, uh, joking about. It is, it is not a benign practice or observance. A lot of people like to practice tolerance, and we are in an age of tolerance. We're in a post-modern um, era. We're in a, uh, a time of uh, pluralism within religion. All religion and all religious practices are seen to have value, and we're not to criticize them. But that's not the Bible's way. The Bible declares that there's one God and one mediator between God and man, and the man Christ, and that is the man Christ Jesus, for example. There is clarity, there is falsehood, and there is truth. And Lent is not grounded in the truth of the Bible. It's not grounded in the Gospels. It's not written in. It's not grounded in any of the letters of the apostles. <clears throat> and it is therefore not benign. It is not a harmless practice. It is a backdoor denial, really, and diminishing of the all-sufficient finished work of Christ, and it harms you spiritually, therefore, and mentally, and relationally, because it points you away from Christ and back to yourself. And let me just assure you, God is not indifferent to such practices as Lent. So we can congratulate ourselves as being very tolerant and very understanding. Well, you know, some churches practice Lent and some don't. And, you know, to each his own. But that's not God's attitude. And let me just sh show you that now by turning to the text of the inspired text of Scripture. Just a few verses. Romans 9.30 through 10.4. We'll start there. Please listen carefully. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness laid hold of righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not attain that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, just as it is written, quote, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and the one who believes upon him will not be put to shame. 
Let me just interject. What Israel was doing is they were pursuing righteousness apart from faith. And of course, ultimately, faith in Christ and his righteousness alone. And they pursued it as if it was by some kind of law, whether it was the Mosaic law or their traditions or their practices. And this is the same thing we can say about the Lenten practice. And then he goes on in chapter 10 to say this, Brothers, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them, Israel, is for their salvation. They were pursuing righteousness as if it were by law or by works or by spiritual disciplines and by spiritual practices, by dietary laws and by observances of feasts and, and seasons and days. And Paul concludes that they're not saved. They've rejected the stumbling stone, which is Christ and his righteousness alone, in order to pursue their own righteousness. Brothers, my heart's desire, my prayer to God for them is their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God. Many people who are going to practice Lent this year have a zeal for God. But he goes on to say, but not according to knowledge. And this is what burdens my heart. Listen to verse 3. For not knowing about the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, that's the only two things you can do in the Christian life. You can um, know about the righteousness of God and rest in Christ's all-sufficient work on your behalf, or you can seek to establish your own. And I'm telling you, these kind of Lenten practices, even if they aren't intended to do that, People do that, and, they, and that becomes the ultimate interpretation in their own mind, is that they're doing something that helps them draw near to God that is not a part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so they seek to establish their own, and they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Listen, there's only one pathway to righteousness, and that is faith in Jesus Christ and his righteousness alone. So these kind of practices that we would call Lent today, and the same thing holds true, quite frankly, with Advent at the other end of the calendar. Let's look at Colossians chapter 2, because these things were coming up already in the early church, and Paul is addressing them here in Colossians chapter 2, beginning with verse 16. He says, Therefore, no one is to judge you, because Christ has canceled out the debt, the certificate of debt that consists of decrees which were hostile to us. Therefore, he says in verse 16, No one is to judge you in food, in drink, or in respect to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath day, things which are only a shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement. That's what Lent is all about. It's about self-deprivation and self-abasement, thinking that somehow you're attaining a higher degree of spirituality. That's pure latent Gnosticism and the worship of angels, going into detail about visions he has seen, being puffed up for nothing 
by his fleshly mind. See, Paul's reminding us that there's a fleshly impulse, a, a religious impulse in our flesh that always drives us towards a self-justification, a self-level of securing of righteousness. He goes on in verse 19 to say, And not holding fast to the head, from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. See, you have growth that is from God, and you have growth that is from the flesh. And the growth that is from the flesh is actually a dying. It is a a, a, a digression. It is a something that is moving you not into true growth, but into actually a death process. It's harmful. It's cancerous to authentic faith. So listen to verse 20 through 23 now in Colossians chapter 2. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why? As if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees? Quote, do not handle, nor taste, nor touch. Lent. <laughs> All over the world. Well-intended, well-meaning, good, professing Christians are going to be refusing to handle certain things, taste certain things, touch certain things, eat certain things. Why are you doing that, Paul says? These things deal with, in verse 22, these things deal with everything destined to perish with use, which are in accordance with the commands and teachings of men. Let me just remind you, folks, God is not indifferent. We may think he is. It may seem like he is, but he's not. His word is clear. We don't need lightning bolts from heaven. We don't need thundering judgments from a mountain. His word is, been, is clear, and it's clear that he is not indifferent to these kinds of spiritual practices like Lent. Let me go on. Verse 22, which deal with everything destined to perish with use, which are in accordance with the commands and teachings of men, which are matters having to be sure as a message of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. End quote. There's the biblical principle. All your self-deprivation, all your fasting, all your observances, all your things you're doing to, to think that you're enhancing your spirituality, you're preparing yourself for, the, for Good Friday and, and Saturday and then Easter Sunday, thinking that somehow you're enhancing your spirituality, they are useless against the true fleshly indulgence. You cannot... You cannot become a better Christian through such practices. You cannot become more holy. You cannot overcome fleshly indulgence by such carnal, worldly, pagan practices. I don't care how Christianized they've become. Now, I'm emphatic. You can hear it in my voice because it breaks my heart for people. It burdens my heart for them. It de it 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 um, 
concerns me. It, 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 and it outrages me for the, the denial, the backdoor denial it is of the finished work of Christ on your behalf by which you draw near to God with freedom and joy. There is no need. Listen, I'll put it this way. If you understood the gospel in its fullness, if you understood the whole purpose of God that has been fulfilled in Christ, you wouldn't need Lent. You wouldn't want Lent. People practice Lenten practices throughout the next 40 days only because they don't understand the gospel. And that's what burdens my heart. These kinds of things stand in complete contrast to the glorious good news of the unique, exclusive, all-sufficient, and final atonement of Christ, whereby you have been sanctified. You are complete in Christ. So Paul tells these people who are given into such pagan practices and beginning already in the first century, to, to baptize and try to Christianize him. Paul says in verse chapter 3, verse 1, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above and not on things that are on earth. For you died and your life has been hidden with Christ in God. Let me give you one more on this topic. And that is Galatians chapter 4. I hope you're hearing these verses. Romans 9.30 through 10.4. Colossians 2.16 through 3.4. And now Galatians 4.8 through 11. Listen, listen closely, please. However, at that time, he's speaking to Gentiles now who have been converted from paganism. He says, however, at that time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. See, these things are enslaving. They don't free you. They don't make you more spiritual. In God's eyes, it's a joke. It's laughable. He who sits in the heavens looks at these things and laughs. They are absurd. They are an offense to him. Verse 9, but now, having known God, or rather having been known by God, he says, how is it, how is it, listen to the apostle's voice here, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you want to be enslaved all over again? You, listen closely, you observe days and months and seasons and years I fear for you, he says. I fear for you. I fear for you. Paul's not going to commend this. He's not going to say, well, go ahead and practice it if you want. It really, you know, we, we apostles, we can tolerate this. We, we understand that some Christians want to do these things, and some Christians don't want to do these things. And by golly, it's just okay with me, you know, because after all, we should all try to get along. No. He's saying you observe days and months and seasons and years as part of your spiritual life? 
I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you for nothing. Folks, let me say it again. God is not indifferent to these things. Stay clear. Inform others. Warn others. Read these texts to them. Share with them. Pray about this with me. Please share my burden for these souls that are being just led down the primrose lane by the angel of light. I know I sound pretty radical. I know I sound pretty um, whatever you want to call me, whatever you want to label me. I just beg you, call me whatever you want. Listen to the text, the scriptures, what I beg you. Now, let me close this brief exhortation with a text in Hebrews ten fourteen to just point out to you why this is such a burden to me. Hebrews ten fourteen through twenty five. Because this this what I'm about to read is what Lent and practices like it sacralism and sacramentalism all these sacerdotalism, all these things are designed just to distract you away from Christ and your true spiritual life in Him. Hebrews 10, 14 says this, For by one offering He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Think of that. You are perfect before the Father. Because of the offering, the one singular, all-sufficient offering of Christ. In verse 15, And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us. For after saying, quote, This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their hearts, and on their mind I will write them. He's referring to the new covenant there. He then says, And, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. You will never be more accepted before the Father than you are at this very moment in His Son. Christ has accomplished everything necessary for you to enjoy full and permanent acceptance before the Father so that you share in his Christ spirit, the spirit of the Son who cries, Abba, Father. You don't need clergymen putting ash on your forehead and telling you that you're going to become dust one day. You are a beloved child of the Father. You don't need clergymen or churchmen telling you that you can't eat certain things or you should... Uh, deny yourself of certain pleasures and certain forms of entertainment and certain things, recreational things. and uh, It's absurd. Why would you do that? Well, there's only one reason why you would do it. It's because you think you have to to be a Christian, and you don't. You say, well, I don't think I have to be to be a Christian. I just enjoy doing it. Why? What do you get out of these things? People don't do these kind of things for nothing. 
they really believe that the church is commending them to certain practices over the next 40 days, including fastings and and self-denials and self-deprivations, because there's some spiritual benefit. I've already warned you in Colossians 2, 23 through 25, there is no benefit. It's useless against the flesh. So let me close now with these final verses out of Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, brothers, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Near to where? The holy place the presence of God. Let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our assembling down together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. End quote. Well, this is just a brief little exhortation I have in the past, I have practiced Lent. I have gone to Ash Wednesday. I have done all the stuff. I've covered the crosses in my house with purple cloth. I've sat at the church for an hour on Monday, Thursday, pretending I was sitting for an hour with Jesus in Gethsemane. I've gone through all the ritual practices. I've done all that. But folks, it wasn't because I understood the gospel. It was because I didn't understand the unique, exclusive, and all-sufficient, permanent nature of the sacrifice of Christ on my behalf, whereby he set me free from having to think I had to do these things in order to draw near to God, to feel his presence, to know him better. And the truth was, I did not have to do any of those things. And neither do you. Hebrews ten fourteen through 25. I encourage you to read that again. Read it to yourself. Pray over it. Meditate on it. Share it with others. And let them know that the way we draw near to God is not through self-deprivation and long, prolonged fastings and other forms of spiritual deprivations, bodily deprivations, but because of the blood of Jesus, we can gather, we can draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Encourage one another. Rejoice in who we are in Christ and who you are in Christ. Rejoice in the all-sufficient Savior that we have in Him. Amen.